all dressed up in your Sunday best. Is that what they say typically? Well, hear now the word of the Lord. We're going to be looking particularly at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17 for our time in God's word. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, indeed, we have gathered here today on this Resurrection Sunday to be reminded that our Lord is risen. He's alive. We do not make a pilgrimage to a sepulcher. We do not go and weep at a tomb. Instead, we are gathered here today as a people who recognize and see that we serve a conquering savior, savior, one who has conquered death and hell, and in its place has given life and heaven. And as a result of that, Lord, we give you glory. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Help us to see that. Help us to glory in that. Help us to be changed by that. Amen and amen. Well, um, I promised this person I wasn't going to mention their name. But if you've been paying attention around CVBC, there's an individual who has had a miraculous makeover recently. Now, no, no, I'm not going to mention this person's name. But most of us know that this person at one point had a long beard, shaggy hair, dressed in jeans and a T-shirt. Nothing wrong with that. But because he loves our youth and he loves what is happening here at CVBC, this person got a dramatic makeover. They almost look differently. And for those of us that remember this person and know this person, we can look at this person and we can clearly see how different this person is. So different that he put on a seersucker suit and a bow tie. Now, I'm not going to mention his name. Not going to mention his name because that's not what we do. We're not in the business of pointing out people here. He may be on this side of the pews. 
maybe about seven <laughs> rows. Like Oh man, I had to point it out. Say again, that that's it. Yeah, we could we could cut the expense. I I had to point that out. Dramatic dramatic makeover, and um and just just so you all know, Russ um Russ did this with the express purpose of raising money for our youth. Um, but but if you know Russ and you look at Russ, I mean he looks so handsome and put together, and praise the Lord for that. And um, <laughs> now look, I I I didn't just mention that for mentioning that sake. Um, in, in the text that I just read, there's a dramatic makeover that Paul is talking about, is there not? Paul uses the language of clothing, put off, put on. In fact, the Greek word there is in duo, which means to, to take off clothes and to put on clothes. And, and the makeover that Paul is talking about here isn't just um, as simple as washing yourself and putting on makeup or, or getting your hair fixed and putting on new clothes. This is an extreme makeover, an extreme makeover. Paul says here that we ought to put off what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, all of those things we ought to put off. And instead, we ought to put on compassion, we ought to put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is a dramatic makeover. But it's not the first time we see a makeover in Scripture. Actually, the very first makeover in Scripture was in Genesis chapter 3. If you remember in Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve took fig leaves and they sewed it and they put it on. And then shortly after that, God came and God put off those clothes, those clothes, and he put on them animal skin. Now, that's not God just not caring for their fashion sense. What God is pointing to is something very dramatic. And here's what God is pointing to. Just don't miss it. This is the theme of the entire Bible. Right? You can see this theme throughout the entire Bible. In fact, if you're looking for a Bible study, study clothing in the Bible. It's fascinating. But the clothing of Adam and Eve are representative of the transformation. They're metaphors for the transformation that should happen in each and every one of our lives. Adam and Eve, when they sewed fig leaves, those fig leaves are representative of uh, representative or metaphor for sin and the way we address sin in our lives, specifically the guilt and shame. We try to cover our own sin. We try to deal with our own sin. And what God was saying in the garden when he reclothed them, and he says, look, the clothing that you have on, your desire to address and deal with your own sin is actually not good enough. You're not clothed properly. And what you need to be clothed in is not your own righteousness or righteousness of your own doing, but what you need to be clothed in is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the point of the picture of the animal being killed and the blood spilled and him reclothing with animal skin. That's the purpose of all of that. It's to point us to those realities that we cannot save ourselves, that in no way can we deal with this sinful world, 
and the effects of this sinful world apart from God. We need to be dressed and clothed in the righteousness of God. And here's the best part about all of this, this dress code, this makeover. It's for everybody. Notice what Paul says in verse number 11, that here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, everyone has to experience this makeover. Everyone has to put on this dress code, spiritual dress code, spiritual makeover, if they have hope for heaven. Because outside of that, we'll be completely lost, right? That's, that's the point of the narrative in Genesis 3, and that's the point that Paul is trying to hammer home here. And the question is, are you dressed in the right kind of clothing? Are you dressed with your own righteousness? Or are you dressed with the righteousness of Christ? Now, in this passage, Paul tells us the importance of clothing. And we see it in verse 12 down through verse number 17. We see that clothing is important for identification. Clothing is important for distinction. And clothing is important for function. And let's look at each one of these Real quickly, first of all, clothes are important for identification. Notice what Paul says in verse number 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And what does Paul mean here by put these things on? Well, he means that these are the things that we ought to be identified by as a Christian. These are the things that we should be identified by. When people see us and interact with us, they know us by these things. Now, look, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan and you need to forgive me, but recently I watched uh, the new um, trailer for Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. Everybody, uh, anybody watch that? Yeah? Anybody Star Wars fans? I don't want to lose the crowd here, right? Now, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, so don't come to me afterwards asking me about collectibles and all that stuff. I don't know any of that stuff, but I am a big Star Wars fan, and, and I watched the, the recent Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer um, because I'm excited. I, I can't wait to watch it. Well, at the very beginning of the trailer, it's a scene with Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he's talking, and he says, oh, we've lost, and we need to stay hidden. And in the very next scene, it's the Sith Lord. And the Sith Lord starts uh, telling his, uh, his henchmen, he said, in order to find a Jedi, in order to find a Jedi, he said, you must exercise patience. And then he goes on to say this, and this is so striking to me. He says, you must ex exercise patience. He says, a Jedi cannot help what they are. Their compassion leaves a trail. It's like an itch. They cannot help themselves. Now pause for a moment and think about that. The Sith Lord didn't say the way you can tell a Jedi is that they had chiseled cheeks. Be careful. Watch out for a Jedi because they walk like this. Watch out for a Jedi. Their hair is only this length and no further down. No, he says the way you can tell a Jedi is that a Jedi is clothed with compassion. They can't help themselves. 
Wherever they go, they leave this trail of compassion. And you will know because it looks differently from everybody else. It looks differently from everything else. A true Jedi master cannot help himself but to identify with the classic Jedi trait, which is compassion. That's what Paul is talking about in this passage. That a Christian is someone who is clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, what's interesting to me is that the Jedi master, when he says this, he knows full well he is not clothed with those traits. In fact, those traits are a serious threat to his type of clothing and living. See, a Jedi is clothed, uh, a Sith Lord is clothed with power. A Sith Lord is, clo- is clothed with control. A Sith Lord is, con- is clothed with a type of clothing that demands respect at all costs. And so what happens? He sees a Jedi who is clothed with compassion and says, that's a threat to my way of existing. And believe it or not, these things are a threat to the world's way of existing. You see, our world looks at things like power and success and control, and they say those are the types of clothing we need to put on and wear. That's the kind of thing. That, that's associated with strength and power. That kind of clothing. But the kind of clothing here, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, that's weakness. That's weakness. Now let me say this. You read those five things. I don't see how you could associate that with weakness because those things embody who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus Christ was by no means a weakling. Even if you look at these things, let's let's take just a few, because I don't want to dwell on this too long, but let's take uh, just a few. Notice the word compassion. Compassion or compassionate heart. Compassion is not a sign of weakness. What does compassion mean? The word calm, passion. To me, calm means with, passion means suffer. To suffer with someone takes a tremendous amount of strength. I love watching from time to time uh, war movies, and especially when they talk about men on the battlefield together, how they're dragging one another out of arm's way, and they're fighting off the enemy for one another. What are they doing? Well, they're suffering with one another. That's what the gospel calls us to. That's what we should be clothed with. We should always look for ways to suffer with one another. Take another one real quick, the meekness. So many people associate meekness with weakness, and I don't understand why. It's probably because they misunderstand what meekness means. The word meekness means strength under control. It's used to describe a wild horse that's been broken. A wild horse that's been broken is much more useful than a horse that's unbroken. I, this came, uh, I realized this recently. Theresa and I were watching a Western movie, and at the end of the movie, uh, these men had to capture wild horses. 
And as they were on the wild horses and they were driving, I was like, man, this movie makes no sense. There is no way they're going to catch up to those wild horses. They're too fast. They don't have a rider. That's, there's no way that's going to happen. But by the end of it, they actually did catch up to the wild horses. You know why? Because they had a rider. And the rider could see exactly where that horse needed to go and was able to corral these wild horses to a place where they can capture them all because they were being controlled by something. That's a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Without Christ, we are wild and unbridled. Without Christ, we, we commit all sorts of uh, sins. We're, we're uncontrollable. But with Christ, we become meek. In other words, we become useful for the kingdom of heaven. We become useful to this world. And that's what this passage is telling us. That as Christians, if you are in Christ, you ought to be identified by your compassion, your kindness, your meekness, your humility, and your patience. The second thing is this. That when we are in Christ, these clothing that we ought to put on serves to point to our function. Now, what do I mean by that? Paul is saying here that the clothing that we have on actually has a particular function in the world. Notice in verse number 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive one another. Now, what is Paul harping on here? This is what uh, Paul is saying. We live in a world where we have to interact with each other. And as we interact with one another, problems happen. You know what's interesting to me? I, I can never remember a time growing up that we've been in a world where everyone takes offense at everything somebody else says. It's almost like you can't say anything anymore. Somebody gets offended, and then when somebody gets offended, they go all Will Smith on you. You know, like, it's like, it's like, it doesn't matter what you said. doesn't matter how you mean it. Right? We get upset at one another for minor complaints, minor offenses. And then what happens? We cut one another off. And Paul is saying that we cannot live in a society like that. Because if we start cutting one another off eventually, we will have no one to cut off. How do we deal with that reality? Paul tells us here, by forgiving each other. That's how we deal with offenses. If somebody's hurt your feelings, if somebody has said something to you, the way you address it is true, forgiving one another. Now, what does Paul mean by forgiving one another? There are two words in the Greek New Testament for forgiving. One, one word, has the idea to let go. The other word is even more interesting, and the word that Paul is using here. The idea here is to give someone they don't, something they don't deserve, almost like an honorarium. Um, you, you hear people from time to time get um, honorary doctorates. That's the word that they typically use to describe that. It's, it's to give someone something they don't deserve. And so what Paul is saying here, if somebody, is, if somebody offends you, if somebody says something you don't like, instead of getting angry at them and upset with them, why don't you give them grace? Why don't you forgive them? That's what the word means, to give grace. Here's four things real quick. Next time somebody offends you, 
Do one of these four things or all of these four things. First of all, give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if you realize this, but people don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to offend Bob. You know, sometimes we think that, right? Somebody says something to hurt our feelings. We're like, I bet they were planning that for two weeks. And they're just waiting for the perfect opportunity to execute it. That, people don't have time to consider those things. They don't. So give them the benefit of the doubt. Here's the second thing you should give them. Give them a break. You know, life is hard. And sometimes if somebody offends you, they don't mean to do it. Give them a break. Say, hey, you know what? That person's probably going through a lot. They're having a difficult time. I'm not even going to address that. Just give them a break. Here's the third thing. Give them a call or a text. You know, it's interesting to me how much of our troubles can be solved if we just talk to the person that offended us. What, what ends up happening if somebody offends you? Here's what ends up happening. You end up having a big argument with them in your head. With no one else around. You go and close the door, or as you're driving in the car, or wherever it is, you have the biggest fight with them, and they're not even around. And Paul is saying here, that's not what we ought to be doing. The way in which we give someone grace is by actually calling them or texting them in order to resolve the problem. Here's the fourth and last one. Give them some time. You know, if somebody offends you, just take a moment and think about it. Don't, don't always rush to get in that person's face. Don't always rush to try and, and address that issue. Give them some time. Think about it a little bit and realize that it might not be a genuine offense. Maybe you're looking at it a little bit differently. But Paul says here, look, we have to learn to bear with one another. Because if we keep canceling one another and slapping one another in the face or not having to do with, any, uh, with one another, we won't have a community. That's a part of bearing with one another. Forgiving. Forgiving. And I'll repeat those again. Give the person the benefit of the doubt. Give them a break. Give them a call or text. And give them some time. Give them some time. All right, let's look at the fourth one. And the fourth one, uh, the third one, sorry. And the third one is distinction. Notice verse 14 through 17. Now, there's four distinctive things, but I'm only going to focus on one for the sake of time. And all of them begin with B. First of all, Paul says, be loving. Next, Paul says, be at peace. Third, be thankful. And fourth, be saturated in God's word. Let's look at the first one. Number one, be loving. Notice in verse number 14. Paul says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What's Paul saying there? Why is love the thing that binds everything together? Remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples in John chapter 13, Jesus said this, that they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, what is it about love that's so powerful? Because love at its core is unconditional. Love at its core is sacrificial. Love at its core is unselfish. Have you ever been a part of a team that's unselfish? I played a little basketball in my time. And our coach always would yell at us, be unselfish, give up the pass. Why? Because it kind of binds everything together. And pause for a moment. Notice in verse 5 through verse number 11, the sins 
that Paul mentions here, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying, all of those things cause what? Division. All of those things are divisive. All of those things destroy a community. All of those things tear a community apart. And Paul says, rather than doing these things that tear a community apart, what are you and I supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be bringing the community together. How do we bring a community together? By loving, by being unselfish, and by showing unselfishness to God's people. Notice one other thing down in verse number 16. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's another way we are distinguished from the world. We're supposed to be a word-saturated people. That when we speak, the Bible says our words should be seasoned with salt. That our words should give life. How, how is it that our words give salt and light? When we speak the word of God. That's what Paul is saying here. That's how people see us. Instead of obscene talk, instead of us being known by lies and anger and wrath, Paul says we should be known by the fact that when we speak, our words are seasoned with the word of God. Now, how is our word seasoned with the word of God? The, the text actually goes on to tell us through teaching and admonishing, through singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Do you realize that when we come here and we sing our faith to one another, the word of God is being lodged deep into our hearts. That's why it's so important for us to sing songs about God's word. That's the power behind that. Now, what's the big takeaway? Those of you that have been here a while, you know I love giving a big takeaway to tie all of this in. Here's the big takeaway. Put on the resurrection clothes. That's what Paul is saying here. Lay aside the clothing that's associated with sin and unrighteousness and instead put on the clothing that's associated with the resurrected life. That you as Christians be known by your compassion and, 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 and kindness and humility, meekness and patience. That's what we ought to be known by. Um, at the very beginning of our service, uh, Scott Kennedy mentioned that when Jesus Christ uh, died, left behind, he left behind the clothing of death. And that's true. If you read the book of John at the very end, it said that Jesus left behind his clothing and the tunic that was on his head was neatly folded. And that's a symbol of the reality that he has left death behind. The next time the clothing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is mentioned is in Revelation. And if you remember the scene, his clothing is dipped in blood. And that's a sign of his redemption, that he's accomplished redemption on our behalf. Do you know what we're clothed with in Revelation? Pure white linen. And do you know what that signifies? That the redemption has been accomplished. And what Paul is saying here is that since that is our assured reality, that's what you and I should be clothed with now for the world to see. The righteousness of Christ. I was listening to a sermon um, on, on this text by Sinclair Ferguson. And I'll end with this. Sinclair Ferguson made the point. He said, this text is not calling on us to be perfect or to pursue sinlessness. It's the exact opposite. He said, this text is calling on us to pursue after being like Christ. 
And you know what that does for each and every one of us inside you today? That takes the pressure off. We don't have to walk around trying to be sinless. We just have to walk around trying to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ because this is what Christ is known by. And it's what we who name the name of Christ should be known by. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this glorious day. We thank you that your resurrection did accomplish one thing for us. It gave us an extreme makeover. Thank you so much for the power of the gospel that we are changed and changed completely. Lord, I pray for the one that does not know you as Lord and Savior, who has not trusted you. Help them to see that their clothing is insufficient. That the dress code of the life, our life, should be the dress code of the resurrected life. That we are clothed with compassion, meekness, and love. Bless us now, your people, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.